Chapter Three of Narrative of an Expedition to the Shores of the Arctic Sea in eighteen forty six and eighteen forty seven by John Ray. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Phil Schampf. Chapter Three Receive a Visit from a Female Party Their Persons and Dress Described Crossing the Isthmus Drag One of the Boats Up a Stream Succession of Rapids north pole lake finding a plant fit for fuel christie lake flat porridge corrigal lake fish deer scaring stones white wolf stony portage view of the sea exploring parties sent in advance their report long portage difficult tracking miles lake muddy lake rich pasturage and great variety of flowers on its banks marmot burrows salt lake visit eskimo tents discouraging report of the state of the ice eskimo chart reach the sea ross inlet point hargrave cape lady pelly stopped by the ice put ashore Find a sledge made of ship timber. Thick fog. Wolves. Walk along the shore. Remains of musk cattle and reindeer. Nature of the coast. Danger from the ice. Irregular rise of the tide. Deer on the ice. Fruitless efforts to proceed northward. Cross over to Melville Peninsula. Gale again stopped by the ice dangerous position of the boat return to starting point meeting with our eskimo friends at salt lake deer begun to migrate southward walk across the isthmus to repulse bay the morning of the twenty sixth was fine with a fresh breeze from the west northwest a visit which i had intended paying to the ladies was anticipated by their coming over to our side of the river bag and baggage they were accompanied by a very old man named shad Kowduyak, who was extremely infirm being obliged to move about in almost horizontal posture supported by a stick there were six women three old the other three young the whole of them married one of the latter appeared quite like a girl of ten years and was rather good-looking having more regular features and being cleaner and more neat in her dress than the others they were all tattooed on the face the form on each being nearly the same viz a number of curved lines drawn from between the eyebrows up over the forehead two lines across the cheek from near the nose towards the ear and a number of diverging curved lines from the lower lip towards the chin and lower jaw their hands and arms were much tattooed from the tip of the finger to the shoulder their hair was collected in two large bunches one on each side of the head and a piece of stick about ten inches long and a half an inch thick being placed among it a strip of different colored deerskin is wound round it in a spiral form producing far from an unpleasing effect they all had ivory combs of their own manufacture and deerskin clothes with the hair inwards the only difference between their dress and those of the men being that the coats of the former had much larger hoods 
which are used for carrying children in having a flap before as well as behind and also in the greater capacity of their boots which come high above the knee and are kept up by being fastened to the girdle some needles beads and other trifles were given them at which they manifested their joy with loud shouts and yells differing from the men in this respect who received what was given them in silence although they were evidently much pleased in the forenoon we were joined by two fine-looking young fellows who had just returned from hunting deer in which they had been successful having driven a large buck off of one of the islands into the water and speared it there one of the women had been on board the fury and hecla both at igloolik and winter island and still wore round her waist some beads which she had obtained from these vessels this party consisted of twenty-six individuals there being four families all the cargo being placed in security and the magnet well moored in our little landlocked harbour the party assisted by four eskimo commenced dragging the north pole up the stream the latitude of our landing place was found to be sixty six degrees thirty two minutes one second north being about seven miles further south than it has been laid down on the charts the variation of the compass by an azimuth was fifty eight degrees thirty seven minutes thirty seconds west this i afterwards found to be erroneous probably arising from local attraction the rate of the chronometer had become so irregular that it could not be depended upon for finding the longitude and during the winter it stopped altogether when about to put on a pair of eskimo boots one of our female visitors noticing that the leather of the foot was rather hard took them out of my hands and began chewing them with her strong teeth this is the mode in which they prepare and soften the seal skin for their boots and they are seldom without a piece of leather to gnaw when they have no better occupation for their teeth at half past nine p m the men returned from the boat having been absent since half past seven in the morning they had with much labor dragged her three miles through a succession of rapids the channel being so obstructed with large boulder stones and rocks that the most of the party were obliged to be almost continually up to the waist in ice-cold water the boat had received some severe blows and rubs but no material damage the worst part of the river had been passed and it was only a mile and a half farther to the lake named by the eskimo chigauik from which it takes its rise the eskimo who had assisted us were paid with a large knife each two nets that had been set produced four salmon but the best season for catching these fish was over as they had now returned to deep water the evening was cloudy with a strong and chilly breeze from the north-northwest temperature of the air at ten p m thirty five degrees twenty seventh as soon as the men had finished breakfast they carried each a load over the rocks to where the boat lay i this morning tried some of our male friends with a little tea and biscuit which they did not relish nearly so well as the ladies had done the previous evening indeed one of the latter whom i have already mentioned knew what biscuit was from the moment she saw it and she said she had eaten some when on board captain perry's ships i remained at our landing-place until the afternoon to obtain some observations that for latitude gave a result different only four seconds from that of yesterday having engaged three eskimo to carry up some things that were still to be taken at one o'clock i followed my men and came up with them some distance up the lake 
as we could not prevail on any of the Eskimo to accompany us as guides, they left us here, and I sent back John Folster and Uligbuck to take care of the property left behind. Our course was nearly north-northwest, but a gale of headwind impeded our progress greatly. The temperature of the air was 52 degrees, water of lake 40 degrees. A few hours poling, pulling, and tracking brought us to the end of the lake, which is about six miles long, from 200 yards to half a mile broad, and in some places 30 fathoms deep. The lake, as well as the stream up which we had come, was named after our boat, we now turned to the westward and entered a narrow passage one and a half miles long, which connects the lake we had passed through with the next one. The current was strong, but between poling and tracking we soon got into still water. Our course now turned again to the north-northwest, and after proceeding a mile in this direction we put on shore for the night in a small bay, where we found a good supply of a plant, Andromeda tetragona, which answers very well for fuel. 28th. We did not get under way this morning until 6 a.m., as the men had a hard day's work yesterday, and did not get to rest until a late hour. The lake continues to trend in the same direction as before, but the banks are neither so high nor so rocky, being covered with short grass in many places instead of moss. The wind still kept ahead, so that it was past ten in the morning before we arrived at a portage, and while two of the men were preparing breakfast, the others were employed carrying over some of the baggage. This portage, which I named after Flett, one of the steersmen, was half a mile long, and being in some places soft and in others stony. It was half past four before we were afloat in the lake on the other side of it. It being calm, great numbers of fish were seen in this small body of water, which was narrow and only two and a half miles long, with a deep bay on each side, which gave it the form of a T. It received the name of Corrigal, after one of my men. We lost our way here for a short time, having entered a wrong arm of the lake. At 8 p.m. we arrived at another portage, which being a short one was soon got over. We pulled in a northwest direction across this lake for about three miles to a shallow streamlet that flows from it. Here we were to make our third, and I hoped, our last portage. We left this for our next morning's work, as it was now half-past ten p.m. There was a great number of stones set up here, for the purpose of frightening the deer into the water. A large white wolf was seen. The morning of the twenty-ninth was raw and cold, with a gale of wind from the northwest by north. We got over the portage, which, although short, was covered with rough granite stones that stuck to our boat's iron-shod keel like glue, at twenty minutes after six, and embarked on what I then supposed was another lake, but which afterwards turned out to be a portion of the second lake we had entered, and the largest body of fresh water we had yet seen. I named it after my much-respected and kind friend, Alexander Christie Esquire, Governor of Red River Colony, whose name has been so often favorably mentioned by Arctic travelers. After pulling west-northwest for eight miles, we were again in doubt about the route, and whilst on my way to some high ground in order to ascertain it, I shot a fine buck with an inch and a half of fat on his haunches. We advanced two miles to the head of a small inlet, whence I set out with one of the men to a neighboring rising ground to endeavor to obtain a view of our future route, 
and if possible to get a sight of the sea after a fatiguing walk over hill and dale our eyes were gladdened with the sight of what we so anxiously looked for but the view was far from flattering to our hopes the sea or rather the ice on its surface was seen apparently not more than twelve miles distant bearing north but there was not a pool of open water visible it was evident that our detention in the lakes had as yet lost us nothing returning at eight p m i sent four men in two parties to endeavour to discover the best route one party being ordered to trace a considerable lake in a north-northwest direction and if possible discover its outlet thirtieth the men sent off last night returned between one and two this morning those who went to the northwest reported that there was a small stream flowing towards the arctic sea from the farthest extremity of the lake they had traced as this account agreed with what we had heard from the eskimo there was no doubt that we were now in the right track we had to cross two portages each a quarter of a mile and traverse a lakelet one mile in extent before we reached the body of water which the men had traced to its outlet it was half past two before we accomplished this work there being many obstructions in the form of large granite stones among and over which we had to drag the boat the lake in which we now found ourselves is upwards of twenty-seven fathoms deep about six and a half miles long and not more than half a mile broad it lies nearly north by west and is bounded by banks much more steep and rugged than any we had yet passed being in some places two or three hundred feet high it is situated in latitude sixty six degrees fifty five minutes north and longitude eighty seven degrees thirty five minutes west we found that the longest and most difficult portage was now before us by the time we had the baggage carried halfway over it was getting late and we did not take dinner until nine p m the following morning was cloudy with a cold north breeze which was not at all unfavorable for the work we had to do we went to work at an early hour but our advance was very slow as the portage fully realized the bad opinion that we had formed of it hitherto by laying the anchor out some distance ahead and having a block attached to the bow of the boat by a strop or what sailors call a swifter passing round her we could form a purchase sufficiently strong to move her with facility but here our utmost exertions were required and the tracking line was frequently broken a piece of iron an eighth of an inch thick which lined the keel from stem to stern was actually drawn out and doubled up so that it was necessary to remove the whole at half past ten when halfway across we breakfasted after which we met with a bank of snow over which we went at a great rate the latitude sixty six degrees fifty nine minutes thirty seven seconds north was observed near the extremity of the portage there were some ponds of water deep enough to float the boat that helped us not a little the descent of a steep bank fully a hundred feet high brought us into another fine lake eight miles long and one mile broad lying nearly north and south with steep rocky shores on its west side the place where we came upon its waters was about three miles from its southern extremity this lake was named miles after a friend as it was quite calm we pulled up due north and entered a narrow inlet out of which there was no passage 
we had passed at a mile and a half from this a stream flowing from the lake but it looked so insignificant that i could not suppose it to be the same that the eskimo had reported as having sufficient water for floating the boat it was now too late however to look for any other exit and we all betook ourselves to rest after a hearty supper for which the fatigues of the day gave us an excellent appetite some of the men had large pieces of skin stripped from their backs whilst lifting the boat over the various obstructions on the portage first august finding that there was no likelihood of there being any other outlet to the lake than the one we had seen we took out the cargo and hauling our boat over a shallow part we reloaded and soon entered a narrow lake the waters of which were very muddy at half an hour before noon we landed to have breakfast and the latitude sixty seven degrees four minutes twenty two seconds north variation of the compass sixty six degrees thirty eight minutes west were observed the shores of this lake being covered with a rich pasturage and a great variety of flowers afforded a pleasing contrast to the country we had hitherto travelled through there were great numbers of marmots here with a well-beaten path leading from one burrow to another after dragging the boat over many shallows we arrived a little after five p m at high-water mark in latitude sixty seven degrees thirteen minutes north longitude eighty seven degrees thirty minutes west the tide being out and there not being sufficient water to float the boat i decided on remaining here until the flood made the recent foot tracks of two eskimo were seen on the sand a short distance below where we stopped the stream we had descended empties its water into a small river which flows from the westward second as the tide did not rise so high by two feet during the night as it had done the previous day the boat did not float we were consequently obliged to carry our baggage a mile further down the stream and afterwards with much trouble haul our boat over numerous shoals we were now afloat in a salt-water lake and on passing a small point two eskimo tents came in view not having got breakfast i landed with the interpreter and whilst the men were cooking went to ascertain if there were any inhabitants all was quiet inside but after calling once or twice outside the door of one of the tents an old woman made her appearance apparently just out of bed as she was very coolly drawing on her capacious boots while she surveyed her visitors without showing the slightest symptoms of alarm although i afterwards learned that i was the first european she had ever seen an old man soon after popped out his head alongside that of his better half who appeared to be endowed with a flow of language which set all his efforts to say anything at defiance a few trifling presents put us all in a few minutes on a most friendly footing their report of the state of the ice in the large bay before us was far from encouraging they said that there was seldom sufficient water for the passage of one of their small canoes and present appearances led me to suppose that they were correct the name of the man was Elialak, of the woman Reluak the remainder of the party consisting of their two sons and their wives had gone a day's journey inland to hunt the muskox from a chart drawn by the woman who as is usual at least among the eskimo was the much more intelligent of the two i was led to infer that there was no opening leading into the large bay but through the strait of fury and hecla and prince regent's inlet 
as soon as breakfast was over in which our new friends joined us we crossed the lake which is six miles long by one and one half broad and put on shore three of the men w adamson h minot and nibitabo who had assisted us across and were now to walk back to repulse bay a distance of forty-three miles by them i sent orders to john folster the man left in charge to make every possible preparation for wintering and to keep up a friendly intercourse with the natives my crew now consisted of george flett john corrigal richard turner edward hutchinson peter matheson jacques st germain and william uligbuck we now passed for two miles through a narrow channel not more than forty yards wide among pieces of ice which were carried along with great rapidity by the ebb tide that had just commenced this led us into the deep inlet which we had seen on the twenty-ninth ultimate this inlet i named after donald ross esq chief factor we found but little open water by keeping near the rocks however we made some progress northward by using our ice poles and after advancing a mile or two i went upon a piece of ice and obtained the latitude sixty seven degrees fifteen minutes north by a meridian observation of the sun in quicksilver about eight miles to the north of this we passed a rocky point which was named after chief factor hargrave the gentleman in charge of york factory when the expedition was fitted out and who afforded every possible assistance towards its proper equipment this point is formed of granite and gneiss and has a very rugged appearance there being neither moss nor grass on the rocks to soften their asperities at seven a m on the third when a few miles past point hargrave being completely stopped by ice we put ashore and found a large wooden sledge which we cut up for fuel the wood was evidently the planks of some vessel probably of the fury or sir john ross's steamer the victory as there were holes in it bored with an auger after working our way a mile or two further we arrived at a high rocky cape having three elevations upon it lying east and west from each other this headland which was honoured with the name of the lady of sir john h pelly baronet governor of the hudson's bay company is situated in latitude sixty seven degrees twenty eight minutes north longitude by account eighty seven degrees forty minutes west variation of the compass eighty two degrees thirty six minutes west it was low water today at eleven a m the fall of the tide being eight and a half feet and the depth of water within a hundred yards of the beach from three to five fathoms on a bottom of mud or sand shortly after noon a fog came on so thick that we could only see a few yards round us we however pushed our way for two and a half miles beyond cape lady pelly along a flat coast lined with mud banks from eight to ten feet high frozen solid within a foot of the surface at four p m the ice was too closely packed to allow us to proceed we therefore turned towards the shore and after some trouble effected a landing the fog still continued so thick that after wandering about for a few miles i had much difficulty in finding the boat again hid as it was by the surrounding masses of ice we were much at a loss for drinkable water there not being a drop in the neighbourhood but what resembled chocolate in appearance in the forenoon some wolves part of a band that had serenaded us last night with their dismal howlings were seen prowling about and a white-winged silvery gull l leucopterus 
a diminutive sandpiper tringa minuta and a marmot were shot fourth there was a drizzling rain with thick fog all night but not a breath of wind as the tide flowed the ice moved slowly and silently round us so that in the morning we had not more than a yard or two of open water near us being blocked in on all sides by pieces from fifteen to twenty feet thick the rise of the tide was not less than nine feet in the forenoon i walked upwards of five miles along the shore to the northwestward passing only a few low sandy points about a mile and a half from each other which formed a succession of small bays into each of which a ravine with high and steep mud banks opened down which a streamlet of pea-soup coloured water flowed we fell in with the heads and horns of several musk cattle and reindeer and saw recent footmarks of some of the latter but they had probably been driven some distance away by the wolves we saw yesterday marmots were very numerous in every direction chattering to each other and rising on their hind legs to obtain a better view of the strangers many golden plovers and different kinds of sandpipers were flying about and a jaeger l parasiticus was shot some plants were also collected the travelling along this coast was extremely fatiguing being very often nearly knee-deep in a very adhesive mud the thermometer rose as high as seventy degrees in the forenoon in the afternoon it fell to forty-eight degrees and in the evening the weather was cold and unpleasant with heavy rain fifth during the greater part of last night the rain continued but it was perfectly calm although by the lead of the clouds we were in hopes of a breeze of wind off shore our boat being in danger of injury from some heavy masses of ice that were turning over near us we moved a dozen yards nearer the land our new situation however was little better than the one we had left for as soon as the tide began to ebb large pieces of our enemy broke away and fell with a loud crash close alongside us it was high water this morning at three o'clock the rise of the tide being eleven feet six inches whilst that of yesterday evening was only five and a half feet an irregularity resembling that which was observed by captain sir j ross on the shores of boothia the temperature of the air in the morning was forty six degrees but rose to sixty five degrees during the day which was very hazy with occasional showers and a fresh breeze off shore but this had not the slightest effect upon the ice and led me to believe that the eskimo report as to the navigation being always obstructed here is correct seeing that there was no probability of our getting along shore towards decent simpson's farthest i determined to retrace our route and if possible cross over to melville peninsula for the purpose of surveying its western shore towards the strait of fury and hequa in the evening when the tide which on our present occasion rose only four and a half feet was in we endeavoured to extricate ourselves and after some hours of hard labour in chopping off some points of ice and pushing aside such pieces as were not aground we got a few hundred yards from the beach and into water a little more open about half past ten a young buck was observed on a piece of ice half a mile to seaward having been forced to take the water to avoid some wolves one or two of which were seen skulking along the shore watching for the return of the animal the state of our larder did not permit us to be merciful so the poor deer had little chance of escape from his biped and quadruped enemies when acting in concert 
After a long chase, he was shot while swimming from one flow to another. Having pulled and pulled along shore all night, we landed for breakfast at 8 hours 30 minutes a.m. on the 6th, about three miles to the south of Point Hargrave. The continued rain and fog had so completely saturated everything with damp that we had not a dry stitch of clothes to put on, and our bedding and fuel were in the same state. Fortunately, the weather was mild, so that we did not feel much inconvenience from this. Finding that the ice was clearing away a little, the effect of a southeast wind, we directed our course towards the nearest point of Melville Peninsula, which bore east, true of us, distant ten miles, and after threading our way among much heavy and close-packed flows, which obliged us to make frequent and long detours, after five hours' hard work, we reached the land during a thunderstorm, accompanied by torrents of rain. Our landing place was a long rocky point, having a deep ice-filled inlet on its south side. To this point I gave the name of Cape Thomas Simpson, after the late enterprising traveller of that name. As we could not proceed on account of the thick fog and the state of the ice, we secured the boat to the rocks, and the men, although drenched to the skin, went immediately to sleep, eighteen hours of hard work at the oars and ice poles having thoroughly tired them all. During the night of the 6th, the weather was thick with occasional rain, but about six in the morning of the 7th, a fresh breeze from the southeast dispersed the fog. As soon as it was cleared up, we renewed our voyage, but our progress was very slow, having our old opponent to contend with. In four hours we gained as many miles, and were again stopped. Seeing some deer near the beach, we landed, and whilst two of us had a fruitless chase after them, the remainder of the party were busy cooking and drying our clothes, blankets, etc. The temperature of the air was 52 degrees, that of the water 35 degrees. The breeze gradually increased as the day advanced, and went round to the east, which drove the ice a short distance from the shore. We embarked again between 9 and 10 a.m., and ran to the eastward for a league or more. When the breeze, having changed into a heavy gale, our boat ran great risk of being injured by the ice, of which we found it impossible to keep altogether clear. We therefore pulled up to a number of grounded pieces, a line of which completely barred us from the shore, and made fast to the largest of them. In getting this far, we were in much danger from the falling or breaking off of overhanging masses, some of them twenty feet in height, which were crashing all around us, and under which we had frequently to pass. At 5 a.m., our flow got afloat and began driving to leeward at a great rate. We just got the boat clear in time to prevent it being crushed against a berg that still remained fast. Some of the smaller pieces lying between us and the land having now floated, we managed to clear a passage for ourselves. Yet although we had only a quarter of a mile to go, so strong was the gale that it required the utmost exertions of six men at the oars to reach the shore. When, having secured the boat and raised an oilcloth to keep off the rain, which had again commenced, we had our supper of pemmican and water and retired to bed for the night. Eighth. On getting up this morning, I found that it had become quite calm, and that the ice was coming in so thick and fast with the flood tide that we had to move from our position as fast as possible. On pushing out to sea, it soon became apparent that we could not proceed on our course, 
and that there was but little open water in the direction from whence we had come, and even that was fast filling up. As we could neither advance nor remain in safety where we were, there was only one course open to us, and that was to return towards the place from which we had started. It was now evident that this large bay was completely full of ice, for had this not been the case, the gale of yesterday must have cleared the coast for many miles. It was with a sad heart that I turned the head of our boat towards our starting point, where I proposed to await some favorable changes in the state of the ice, and at the same time learn how the people left at Repulse Bay were getting on with the preparations for wintering, which now appeared inevitable. The weather continued so much overcast that no observations could be obtained. In the afternoon, a light breeze sprang up from the west-northwest, which enabled us to reach, in a short time, Ross Inlet, where we had some trouble in finding the entrance of the river, on account of the altered appearance of the rocks, it now being nearly low water, and the shore clear of ice, compared with what it formerly was. We had much difficulty in towing up to the Salt Lake before mentioned, as the narrow but deep channel which led to it was, at this state of the tide, one continue rapid, and so strong was the force of the stream that our tracking line broke. We were soon snug in the salt lake, but had not been more than a half an hour under shelter before almost every spot of open water outside was filled with ice, so rapidly had it followed in our wake. When we arrived opposite the tents of our Eskimo friends, they came running down to the beach, led on by the old lady whose fluency of speech i have already remarked and who appeared determined to sustain her character on this occasion by making more noise than all the others put together and expressing her joy at our return by loud shouts the old people had during our absence been joined by the muskox hunters two fine young active-looking fellows named arkshuk and ivichuk and their wives these women were the cleanest and best-looking I had yet seen. They were tattooed much in the same way as those at Repulse Bay. The hunters said they had been unsuccessful, but as each of the women had the tail, or a portion of the shaggy hair of the neck of a muskox in her hand, as a mosquito flapper, their veracity was rather doubted. There was only one child with them, a sickly-looking boy of six or seven years, stepson to a man named Shishak who arrived about an hour after us in his kayak from an unprofitable walrus hunt. I learned from our Eskimo acquaintances that the deer had commenced migrating southward. This being the case, I prepared to walk across to Repulse Bay to see what progress the party left there had made in their work, the weather being so cloudy for the last week that no observations of any value could be obtained. Leaving three men and Uligbuk's son in charge of the boat, I started at 6.30 a.m. on the 9th, in company with Corrigal, N. Germain, and Matheson, to cross the Isthmus, taking a south-southeast direction. But it was impossible to keep this course for any great distance, as we were forced to make long circuits to avoid precipices and arms of lakes. After a most fatiguing day's march over hill and dale, through swamp and stream, we halted at half-past 6 p.m., close to the second portage crossed on our outward route. To gain a distance of twenty miles, we had traveled not less than thirty. Our supper was soon finished, as it was neither luxurious nor required much cooking, consisting of our staple commodities, pemmican, cold with water. Tenth. The morning was raw and cold, with some hoar frost, 
and there not being a blanket among the party and only two coats our sleep was neither long sound nor refreshing in fact i had carried no coat with me except a thin mackintosh which being damp from the rain of yesterday had become an excellent conductor of caloric and added to the chilly feeling instead of keeping it off there is one advantage in an uncomfortable bed it induces early rising and it proved so in the present instance for we had finished breakfast and resumed our journey by half-past two a m the travelling was as difficult as that of yesterday but we had the advantage of a cool morning and got on more easily at seven o'clock we arrived at the narrows which separate christie and north pole lakes where we found the greater number of the eskimo we had seen encamped waiting for deer crossing over some of them immediately got into their kayaks and paddled across to our side of the lake but with so much caution that it was evident we had not yet wholly gained their confidence at two p m we arrived at repulse bay with most enviable appetites but rather footsore our shoes and socks having been entirely worn through long before we reached our destination end of chapter three